Okay. If you have a copy of the scriptures, open it to 2 Samuel chapter 19. Last week, chapter 18, David was victorious over his son Absalom. But it's hard to be victorious when your son dies. And so even though his son was out to take over his kingdom, when Absalom was killed by Joab and his men, David was shaken. Verse 33 of chapter 18, it says, The king was shaken. He went up to the room over the gateway and wept. As he wept, he said, Oh, my son Absalom, my son, my son Absalom, if only I had died instead of you, O oh, Absalom, my son, my son. And that's where we pick up today. Joab was told, verse 1, the king is weeping and mourning for Absalom. And the whole army, the victory that day was turned into mourning. Because on that day, the troops heard it said, the king is grieving for his son, The men stole into the city that day as men steal in who are ashamed when they flee from battle. The king covered his face and cried aloud, O my son Absalom, O Absalom, my son, my son. David's sorrow was now overflowing to those who were loyal to him, the supporters. And think about this. They just had this victory. It was very costly. Many of them died. And instead of there being this rejoicing, all right, we've conquered, we've won. David is now still able to reign as king. Here is the king crying over this victory. And so they couldn't rejoice. How could they rejoice when the king is weeping? And so they went into the city feeling ashamed, like, oh my gosh, what have we done? We've won, but at what cost? I mean, the king is a wreck. And he's just totally lost it. And so David's emotion is influencing the whole army. And everyone there is aware of it. Verse 5, Then Joab went into the house to the king and said, Today you have humiliated all your men who have just saved your life and the lives of your sons and daughters and the lives of your wives and concubines. You love those who hate you and hate those who love you. You have made it clear today that the commanders and their men mean nothing to you. I see that you would be pleased if Absalom were alive today and all of us were dead. Now go out and encourage your men. I swear by the Lord that if you don't go out, not a man will be left with you by nightfall. This will be worse for you than all the calamities that have come on you from your youth till now. Rough words. What do you think about this? What do you think about Joab's words to David? Are they good? Are they bad? Are they insensitive? Are they timely? Are they hearsay? Well, I guess he could have, but I think they would have still known he was depressed. I think the whole idea was he he can bring encouragement to the guys in the victory as well as solidarity of what just happened. Remember, right now, the kingdom is torn. I mean, there were a lot of people in Jerusalem who were for Absalom, and some of those people came with David, and, and some of those people stayed back. So he's got people in both cities now, and there's probably some people even in this camp that maybe were for Absalom. And so now it's a matter of, is David going to be able to take charge? Is David going to be able to resume his kingship over all of Jerusalem? And so I suppose he could have, but I think what was taking place here was the the lack of intention for David to move forward in victory. 
In other words, something has happened. Momentum is swinging for you to take the throne back, and you're not. You're acting as if it's worse. And some of his words are are sharp. You love those who hate you and hate those who love you. Think about that. You love those who hate you. In other words, you're loving Absalom, but Absalom had it in for you. And those who fought for you, you're having no regard for them. Grief is, is a troubling thing. That's why they call it grief. It's a difficult thing because we are entitled to grieve and David has every right to have this sorrow. But when your grief pushes you to have an effect on those who are a part of your life now, then you have to check and see, is my grief now causing more sorrow to the living? And is it becoming selfish? My friend, as I've been sharing, who lost his son, whose son committed suicide, he has another son and, and he's married. And in some of his writings, he talks about he has to be here for his wife and for his other son. So even though he is torn because of the loss he has for his son, he realizes that he still has to be present for his wife and for his other son because they're going through their grief as well. And he has to be there for them in their grief, even while he's going through his grief. And so sorrow has a place. But when the sorrow for someone we lost starts affecting those who are living, we have to stop and and check ourselves and say, now, is this sorrow more about me than really it is about them? And so he's sorry for the loss of his son, but now his sorrow is affecting those around him. Remember, David's other children were still with him, including Solomon, who would soon be king. And so as David is going through his emotion, it's not without effect to those around us. And this is the difficult thing because we are never in a place where our actions are void of influence to those around us, no matter what state we are in. We always have an effect on the people around us. And even when we have every right to be emotionally distraught and destroyed, how you act still influences the people around you. And so it's a difficult thing, but it is something to think about those who are still here, who you still love, and how you can have an impact on them for a benefit as opposed to just being swallowed up in your grief. And now you start bringing others down with you. There's a time to cry. You can't help but weep. But now David's sorrow is affecting all those around him, his children, his wives, his concubines, the men who fought for him, the people who were following him. It's now having a serious effect. And Joab, as we've seen, has never been a man to mince words. Joab's kind of his own man. He's going to say what he's going to say. He's this kind of guy who's great to have on your side, but he's still kind of on his own side all along. You know, it's like, I think he's for me, except for when he doesn't want to be, then he'll go out and kill someone and do whatever he wants. Remember, he killed Absalom, even though David said, take it easy on him. And so this is a troubling thing to deal with sorrow in such a way that it's not selfish. Have you guys ever gone through something like that, or can you think of a situation like that? Any of you? I've been there. Things have happened, and I feel like, oh my gosh, I have the right to be upset, to be sorry. I have the right for everyone to say, poor Sam, and I think everyone should. 
But if I live there, I'm no good to anybody, including myself. Because life is still moving on. And though we grieve for the ones we've lost, we can't allow the loss of the ones we love to steal the life that we have to live. And that's a tough thing when it is someone who you love so much. Again, as I read from my friend's journals that he's writing and posting, um, they're just heart-wrenching because it seems to be ongoing. And he even struggles with, is it okay to keep writing and keep talking about this, or am I just you know, still dwelling in this thing. And he battles that because you don't want to let go of your son and the loss that you have. And you almost feel like you're betraying him by moving on with your life. And that's a difficult thing. What if I start forgetting about him? What if I I don't want to forget those things? I, I want to keep that because by keeping that pain, we feel like we're actually keeping that person. But you see, the pain is not the person. The pain is the absence of the person. And the pain will not replace who you've lost. But what it does is it reminds you. And so you find comfort in the memory of the one you've lost. But you're not replacing it. And so that's a, it's a terrible place. I mean, it's just an awful position to be in. But there is some truth here with Joab's words, even though he could have been a little bit more, you know, diplomatic in how he said these things. I think the words that he spoke here are very truthful, especially at a time where there is a lot of upheaval. Joab saw that if you don't take charge now, you're going to lose everything. Someone else will step in and you are going to find things worse than they are or they've ever been. I mean, he says, you know, they'll be worse than from your youth till now. (laughs) Think about David's gone through some pretty horrendous things running for Saul from all these years. Now, son, it's like it's going to get worse. Thank you. You know, thanks for the encouraging words. Um, It's important that. We remember that life is for the living. You know, Jesus, when the person came and says, Lord, I'll follow you, but first let me bury my father when he's dead. And he was saying, I'm going to wait till my father dies and take care of all those things. And Jesus said, let the dead bury their own dead. He wasn't being insensitive. He was saying, there's a life for you to live. Are you going to put the life that you're supposed to live on hold, waiting for an obligation that you need to fulfill? And there was a powerful truth that he was proclaiming that I think is similar to what Joab is saying here. I heard one person who lost his daughter talking about how he had to be careful through his time of grieving because he had other children that the other children didn't feel like they weren't important. You know, and they're going through their grief, but he can't allow his grief to be so important that they feel neglected. And that's a responsibility that he had as a father. And again, I I just wouldn't wish that on anybody. But... That's a tough situation. That's kind of how I see this taking place with David. Any other thoughts just on this? Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of that snap out of it. It's kind of like Cher and Moonstruck with Nicolas Cage. (laughs) Snap out of it, you know. Sort of like that. (laughs) Just... You know, I know other people who've gone through just horrendous things. Someone who's gone through a a divorce and just some difficult things there. And if he doesn't go back to work, he's going to end up being in worse shape. 
You know, even though he's devastated and you feel like, okay, yeah, you, you deserve some sympathy, you deserve some time, but you got to keep going on. Otherwise, you're going to be a burden to the people around you. I mean, there's so many areas where grief overwhelms us and we feel like you have every right to be sorry, and you do. But life doesn't stop. And that's a cruel thing, but it, it's life. And we have to continue living. Because once we stop living, we'll be swallowed up in that despair. And I think that was the case here with David and Absalom. I think he would have been swallowed up. You know what strikes me? When I read this, I thought, huh, because that's what I think. I, I think, huh, what about his other son who Absalom killed? the one who raped Tamar. Did David grieve like this for him? We don't see this. What about when the baby died that he bore with Bathsheba? He grieved until the baby actually did die, and then he freshened up and ate. And they said, why are you doing this? And he said, well, it's done. I can't... He can't be back with me, but I will be with him. There was a, a difference in his kind of perspective at that time than there is at this time. And, and I don't know why. It could be with age. You know, what is it? When we get older, we get more sensitive. I think. You know, it's like I cry easier now. I'm becoming a baby. I'm very sensitive now. So take it easy on me, you know, but there is something that happens as you get older, you, you start becoming more sensitive. That's why grandparents spoil the grandchildren because they're sorry for all they did when they were parents and they're like, oh, I, I should be nicer. Um, but then the parents are like, oh, no, you shouldn't. Not with my kids. Um, and so I think there was a change in David as well, just moving from where he was to where he is. And going through all these things makes you more sensitive. Have you noticed that when you go through something difficult, everything becomes more, just, they affects you more. You know, you go through a a very traumatic situation or you're dealing with some difficult things and then you, you hear a song. You know, Daniel starts singing a song, The God of Angel Armies. You go, yes, yes, he's on my side. You know, all of a sudden you just like, it grips you because you connect to that because of where you're at. It's like you're just, nerve endings are raw, they're sensitive, and everything that happens touches you in that way. And it happens, you know, when you, it happens so many times when people break up with a a boyfriend or girlfriend, or actually it happens when they break up with you more than when you break up with them, okay? When you break up with them, you're fine, but when they break up with you, it's like, oh God, what happened? I'm going to be alone for the rest of my life. I need you, God. All of a sudden, you know, there's this like desperation of wanting God. Why? Because I'm just sensitive. You lose a job, you get in a car accident, you lose, you know, something that's close to you, and all of a sudden there's an awareness to things more so than at other times. And David, his whole life has been a loss, a loss, a loss. And I think right now he's at the breaking point. And so now he's just overwhelmed. Yeah, he was. He was older than, I'm trying, I keep blanking out on the other son who he killed, Anna. Hammond, yeah, he was older than him. I think he was his oldest son. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to say. I'd imagine those plans dissipated when he tried to take over the kingdom. But, you know, um, yeah, it's hard to say. You know, David was a mess with his family. You know, I mean, he didn't show much sympathy to Tamar and what happened to her. Um, but here he is, broken over Absalom, you know. Um, I don't know. You know, I mean, it's hard for us, you know. I mean, I have four children, and I think I'm close to all of them. You know, I love them all, and if anything happens to them. But what would happen if I had 20 children? There'd probably be some I wouldn't be as close to. 
you know, because I have trouble remembering the four names sometimes. You know, I I call them my dog by accident. It's like, uh, or actually, I'll, anyway, I just have a hard time with names. And so I imagine with 20, I'd be like, who are you again? You know, it, you would start to lose some attachment. You have to. There's no way you can be as close to 20 kids as you would be to three. Um, time just doesn't allow it, you know. And so that's why when you see these TV shows, like those people 17 or 20 and counting, it's like, oh, my gosh, stop counting. You know, I mean, just stop. That's my thoughts anyway. But we digress, or I do. So anyway, this is a traumatic situation. Joab comes and gives David this sobering statement. Things are going to get worse. And so in verse 8, so the king got up and took his seat in the gateway. Remember, now this is the gateway. This is where Absalom was going, and, and this is where you make the judgments for the people. And now David's not in Jerusalem. He's in this other town, but he's there in the gateway. And when the men were told the king is sitting in the gateway, they all came before him. And so this is what they wanted. They wanted their king. They wanted to know that he was back. And so David goes back to the gateway. Even though he's grieving, he starts taking his responsibilities and starts moving forward. Meanwhile, the Israelites had fled to their homes. Verse 9, throughout the tribes of Israel, all the people were arguing among themselves, saying, the king delivered us from the hand of our enemies. He is the one who rescued us from the hand of the Philistines. But now he has fled the country to escape from Absalom. And Absalom, whom we anointed to rule over us, has died in battle. So why do you say nothing about bringing the king back? And so... David had survived Absalom's attempt to overthrow him, but the kingdom wasn't restored yet to David. There's a lot of talk. Absalom was the one reigning for a while here, and David hasn't come back. So what's with this? Who's going to reign over us? Where were these people when Absalom was taking over? Because all of a sudden, okay, David needs to come back. If he's king, we want him back here. You were fine when Absalom was there, but now you want David back because you want the king in your town. That's kind of what's happening. You know, David had to flee, but now Absalom's dead. So why isn't he back with us? Why isn't he back here in Jerusalem where his house is? We're the important people. We want to be the capital. This is kind of like the fight for where the Olympics are going to be held. You know, what city gets to host the Olympics this year? You know, and everyone waits to see if their city gets to spend all the money and and try and get the revenue for the Olympics. We want the king back in our town. And again, these people are so fickle. They just were fine with Absalom, but now that he's gone, well, we want David back. It's like Dodger fans, you know. They're doing good. Okay, we'll go to the games. Or Laker fans, even worse. I don't know. And it's like they were on top of so many. Yeah, we're fans. Oh, okay, forget them. You know, it's just so fickle, and people are like that. Um, but we hear their voice. Politics is like this. You know, I can remember when the Gulf War, the first one, I forget what it was called, Desert Storm, I think it was, when George. George Bush was president. After that war and after that first victory, his ratings were higher than any president. And then Bill Clinton won. I was like, what happened? Well, the economy got bad. You know, it's it's the same thing. It's like, what have you done for me lately? Hey, David, where are you? You haven't done anything for me lately. And so they're complaining. In verse 11, King David sent this message to Zadok and Abathar, the priests. Ask the elders of Judah, why should you be the last to bring the king back to his palace? Since what is being said throughout Israel has reached the king at his quarters. In other words, I'm hearing these people saying they want me back. But why haven't you guys who are in charge invited me back? 
verse 12. You are my relatives, my own flesh and blood. So why should you be the last to bring back the king? Now, why would they be the last to bring him back? There's a reason. (laughs) Who are these people? They were with Absalom. Yeah, verse 13 where it says, and say to Amasa. Remember, Amasa was Absalom's chief and commander, but he was also related to David. Are you not my own flesh and blood? May God deal with me, be it ever so severely, if you are not the commander of my army for life in place of Joab. And so now David is saying, hey, you guys were with Absalom, but you're my family too. And I'll put you in charge when I come back. So this is a very political move. And it probably makes David feel a little bit better because Joab is a loose cannon. Joab is a pretty wild guy, and David probably says, I need to be careful about this guy, Joab. And he makes some steps, but it's also taking this person who is now kind of the commander of this army and bringing him together with him. And so it's a smart thing to do politically. And so we see David's head getting back in the game kind of a thing. All of a sudden it's like, hey, your family too, when I come back, I will put you in charge. Because who knows what this guy's thinking, right? If David comes back, my head's on the chopping block. If David comes back, he's going to kill me, my family. I'm, I'm, do I have to run for my life? What's going to happen? So there's a lot of uneasy things going. But instead of David seeking out revenge, he comes back showing just this mercy and grace and trying to bring peace. And it, it's a smart thing. It's going to have some problems because people are people, but it's actually a smart thing to do at this point. And so he tells Amasa, you're my flesh and blood. I will put you in charge of the commander of my army in place of Joab. I wonder what Joab thought. Don't you wonder? I mean, Joab was like, hey, what about me? But it's good to be king. You get to do those kinds of things. Verse 14. He won over the hearts of the men of Judah so that they were all of one mind. Isn't that amazing? He won their hearts over by what? By being gracious. It's an amazing thing when you show kindness. The Proverbs say, don't, you know, a gentle word helps calm an argument where a harsh word will raise it up. And so this gentleness of David actually wins the hearts of the people as opposed to being forceful. They sent word to the king, return and all your men. Then the king returned and went as far as the Jordan. Now, David would not force his reign on Israel. He would only come back if the tribes who had rejected him for Absalom agreed to bring him back as king. And that's really important because that's what he wanted. Because if it was by their free choice, then it was genuine. If it was forceful, then it wouldn't last. And that's how it is just in life. Have you ever worked for someone who's just an idiot and they're forceful and they're demanding and it's gone to their head? You know, they have the ability to fire you and they know it and they let you know it every chance they can. If you don't do this, if you're not in it this time, if you don't stay over, if you won't do these things and they just keep using their power and they keep pushing and pushing and pushing. I mean, do you... Go to work thinking, oh boy, I get to work with the ogre today. You know, it's like, oh, wonderful. No, you usually start to detest this person. You start putting out applications everywhere else because I got to get out of here. This person is insane. They're a loose canyon. All it takes is one misstep and my job is gone. My security is gone. But what happens when the person is genuinely concerned with you? 
when they actually show interest, when they're actually kind, when they know about your life and they're asking, hey, you know what, your, what, your wife's in the hospital, take the day off. You need an extra day. Go on. It's important. You know, wow, thank you. You know, you, then when they ask you to come in on the weekend, it's like, oh, sure. I'll, I'll come in because you were nice to me at that time. Or at least you might be more inclined to that. Hopefully you would be because they're showing that kindness. Well, that's what's taking place here. David's not going to force himself in there. He's positioning it so if you invite me to be king, I will come back. But I'm not going to start a civil war. I'm going to wait to be invited back into the situation. And so he did return to Jordan. And now the men of Judah had come to Gilgal to go out and to meet the king and bring him across the Jordan. Verse 16, Shimea, son of Gerard. Do you guys remember this guy? Huh? This is the guy who was cursing David and throwing rocks at him and dirt. Remember? Shemiah, whatever his name is. So he comes out, okay? Remember, David is running for his life because Absalom's chasing him, and this guy is throwing rocks, and he's cursing him, you murderous person, you you just foul human being. And now here comes David back as king. What do you think his tone is now? So the son of Gera, the Benjamite from Berhem, hurried down with the men of Judah to meet the king. With him were... A thousand Benjamites with the king, along with Ziba. Do you remember who Ziba was? It was Ahithophel's servant, or Mephibosheth's servant, who connived Mephibosheth out of his things. He told David that Mephibosheth had went to be with Absalom, and so David gave Ziba all his stuff. So here comes Ziba, the traitor, with David and a thousand Benjamites. And so now this is what Shemaiah sees coming towards him, the steward of Saul's household and his 15 sons and 20 servants. They rushed to the Jordan where the king was. Verse 18, they crossed at the ford to take the king's household over and to do whatever he wished. When Shemaiah, son of Gera, crossed the Jordan, he fell prostrate before the king and said to him, May my Lord not hold me guilty. Do not remember how your servant did wrong on the day my Lord the king left Jerusalem. May the king put it out of his mind, for I, your servant, know that I have sinned. But today I have come here as the first from the tribes of Joseph to come down and meet my Lord the king. So now there's a change of heart. Especially when he's coming back. (laughs) When you're leaving, get out of here, you jerk. You're coming back. Oh, no. Oh, no. And the king's coming back. Now, what do you think about this guy? Do you think he's sincere? What do you think the king should do with him? We'll we'll see right now. It'll it'll play out. So he's coming. And really, you got to commend the guy. He comes to David. He does ask for forgiveness. You know, he doesn't just run away and hide. He actually comes and, and asks forgiveness Then, verse 21, Abishai, son of Zeruah, said, Shouldn't Shemaiah be put to death for this? He cursed the Lord's anointed. And so he's talking to David, and Shemaiah's standing there. Shouldn't we just kill the guy? And he's like, oh, no, no. Let him go. You know, it's one of those things. David replied, What does this have to do with you, you sons of Zeruiah? What right do you have to interfere? Should anyone be put to death in Israel today? And that's kind of the key. Is today the time to start bringing a forceful hand? Because I'm trying to come back in peace. Really, do we want to start killing people for the things they did wrong to me? Is this the time? Don't I know that today I am king over Israel? So the king said to Shemaiah, you shall not die. And the king promised him an oath. So he did not kill him today. But when David was dying and he was going to leave the throne to Solomon, he said, you know that guy, Shemaiah? Make sure he's dead. Yep, seriously. David said, have him put to death. Because he doesn't want him around when his son takes the throne. 
So you kind of get your movie wish. He, he gets put to death. The Bible is honest. <laughs> it tells the truth. And so he doesn't get put to death, but, but David didn't forget. And, you know, why it happened? Well, that's what we suppose is David just didn't want this guy who was kind of very um, forceful to be around when Solomon was king. And so he did have him put to death before Solomon took the throne. And it was kind of, you know, what's your last wish before you die? <laughs> Kill that guy. <laughs> it's not really what you want to think of and way to go, but that was kind of one of his last wishes going there. So, so David here is coming with peace. He's not here with force. He's trying to mend things. Verse 24, Mephibosheth, Saul's grandson, also went down to meet the king. Now, Mephibosheth, remember, he was lame. He couldn't walk. His name means something like bad breath. It means that his breath was weak, and they think that he had like maybe asthma or something because his nursemaid picked him up to run with him when Saul died, and then she fell, and he was crippled at that point. And so Mephibosheth, whose name means like lousy breath, comes to David to meet the king. But Ziba had already said, Mephibosheth turned on you because Ziba wanted all the land. And so here comes Mephibosheth to meet the king. He had not taken care of his feet or trimmed his mustache or washed his clothes from the day the king left until the day he returned safely. So he's a mess. When he came from Jerusalem to meet the king, the king asked him, why didn't you go with me, Mephibosheth? I think this is interesting because we don't see David asking other people, but he did ask him, why didn't you come with me? Why do you think that is? He has shown kindness and he expected, with the kindness I showed you, why wouldn't you come to me? It was expected. And it's interesting because it almost seems like this hurt David more than so many of the other things that took place. It hurt him that someone who he showed genuine kindness to would betray him because that's what he thought took place. In verse 26, he said, My lord, the king, since I, your servant, am lame, I said, I will have my donkey saddled and will ride on it so I can go be with the king. But Ziba, my servant, betrayed me. And he has slandered your servant to my lord, the king. My lord, the king is like an angel of God. So do whatever you wish. All my grandfather's descendants deserve nothing but death from my lord, the king. But you gave your servant a place among those who eat at your table. So what right do I have to make any more appeals to the king? In other words, you had every right to destroy my family because Saul tried to destroy you but you didn't. You're like an angel to me. Whatever you want, do what's right. Now, do you think Mephibosheth is sincere? Doesn't it just strike you? It just like, this guy has always come across. Why is he so sincere? And why do we question Shemaiah? Well, because of the generosity given to him. You see, we love God because he first loved us, what we do is respond. When, when someone is generous to you, it's humbling. And you feel grateful, or you should. And so that's genuinely what's happening here with Mephibosheth. He, he's been shown such grace, and he is so grateful. Verse 29, the king said to him, Why say more? I order you and Ziba to divide the land. In other words, I don't know who's telling the truth. Don't say anything. You guys split it. Mephibosheth said to the king, let him take everything. Now that my lord, the king, has returned home safely. Interesting. Does this remind you of another incident? Solomon and the baby, right? I wonder if Solomon wasn't sitting next to David when this little discourse was going on. And he sees this 
sincerity of Mephibosheth, and he says, that's what it really looks like to love and be compassionate. He says, he can have it all. I don't care. I'm just glad you're back. I, I wonder if this was something that just portrayed. See, that would make a movie. Cool. Yeah, that would be, be a good movie. That should be a scene in the movie. Then fades there, Solomon, going in the background. And so he just is glad that the king has returned safely. And then it moves on. And so we see this sincerity of Mephibosheth. And he was loyal even though Ziba wasn't. Yeah, Cody. Yeah, I mean, he's probably with him at this time because I don't think Absalom would have wanted anyone else there. It seems like he would have been trying to kill off anyone who would be a problem for him. So, yeah, I mean, what did he learn while he was there watching his dad, the good and the bad, through all of this? And so, interesting things to ponder. Verse 31, Barzillai, the Gileadite, also came down from Rogalim, to cross the Jordan with the king and to send him on his way from there. Now, Barzillia was very old, 80 years of age. He had provided for the king during his stay in Mahanim, for he was a wealthy man. The king said to Barzillia, cross over with me and stay with me in Jerusalem, and I will provide for you. But Barzillia answered the king, how many more years will I live? that I should go up to Jerusalem with the king. I am now 80 years old. Can I tell the difference between what is enjoyable and what is not? Now, this kind of scares me. I'm hoping at 80 I'll be able to tell the difference. Can your servant taste what he eats and drinks? I'm hoping I can still taste, you know, good pizza when I'm 80 years old. I'm just like, this is scary. But I think, well, that time they didn't have the medicine that we had today. So... Hopefully, it's different. Can I still hear the voices of male and female singers? Why should your servant be an added burden to my lord, the king? Your servant will cross over the Jordan with the king for a short distance, but why should the king reward me in this way? Let your servant return that I might die in my own town near the tomb of my father and mother. But here is your servant, Kemham. Let him cross over with my lord, the king. Do for him whatever you wish." The king said to Kimham, "Shall cross, the king said, Kimham will sh- cross over with me, and I will do for him whatever you wish, and anything you desire from me, I will do for you." Now this is his son, Kimham, that is crossing over, and David says, "Anything you want, I'll do for you." Again, we see that someone who shows kindness to David is now dear to David. I'm going back to this turmoil. There is this upheaval. Jerusalem has just gone through this kind of civil war. It's a short one, but there's a lot going on. It's good to have people with you who are on your side, who you can trust. There is comfort with friends, real friends. They're the people you call when things go wrong. They're the people you say, hey, I need help. Can you come and help out with these kinds of things? And here's this guy. He says, man, come with me. I'll set you up. You can have your way and you'll be part of just my reigning kingdom. And he says, hey, I'm 80 years old. That stuff doesn't mean anything to me anymore. I can't even taste good food, you know, or hear the singers. So I just want to stay home. It's another thing that scares me. I just, I need to get out of the house more. I don't want to be one of those people who never goes out of the house. You know, you know those, anyway, you go to those homes like, do you ever leave? No, you just stay there except for when you have to, you know, put gas in the car or something like that. You just, no, I'm going to get out of town. I I just, okay, no, why should I do that? I'm going to stay home near the tomb of my parents and I'll just die there. But here, take my son Have him have a promising future. And David does this kindness to his son, not because of his son, but because of him. Because of the friendship that this man, Brasilia, had. And that's what it means when we pray in Jesus' name. It's not because there's magic in the name. It's that this person was looked on with such favor that David would answer 
and help his son out because of him. And what God does for us, he does because he sees us through his son, Jesus. And so because of what Jesus has done, because of the relationship I have with him, you are now in him. That means whatever you want, I will do it because how much I care for him. It's a similar thing that's taking place. So when we say in Jesus' name, it's all about the relationship that we have with the Son and that the Son had with the Father. It's all about the relationship. And so he gives this to him because of who he is. Verse 39. Well, actually, let's stop. Well, no, let's read 39. So all the people crossed the Jordan, and then the king crossed over. The king kissed Barzillia and bid him farewell, and Barzillia returned to his home. Isn't this a, a touching story of this man? Just a short verses, but here was someone who was dear to the king. King wanted him to be with him. He said, hey, I can't. It's time for me to go on to greener pastures. So he left him there. Anything stand out to you in those verses? And what else could it mean that he wanted to hang out with this man, linger with him until he finally had to go? You know, another movie scene. Everyone's moving on. It's just they're hanging out. The music's playing. You know, you sure you won't go? No, I can't go. Okay, and then there's that daring kiss, and life's a movie. I've got a soundtrack in my head. And so then he finally goes back. After everyone crosses, then he goes with him. And so he does linger after everyone goes, and he stays with him until finally he crosses over. Verse 40, when the king crossed over to Gilgal, Kimham crossed with him. All the troops of Judah and half troops of Israel had taken the king over. Soon all the men of Israel were coming to the king and saying to him, Why did our brothers, the men of Judah, steal the king away and bring him and his household across the Jordan together with all his men? All the men of Judah answered the men of Israel, We did this because the king is closely related to us. Why are you angry about it? Have we eaten any of the king's provisions? Have we taken anything for ourselves. This argument is ultimately about who is more loyal to the king and who has the greater right to honor him. It seems stupid, at least to me. Like, serious? Hey, why are you with the king? We have the right to be king. No, we're, we're more loyal. We're part of his family. And it seems stupid until you know people. And then you find out people can sometimes be stupid. They can. It's amazing how much turmoil happens at funerals. You would think when a person passes that there would be this overwhelming sympathy and generosity, but oh my goodness, how possessive people want to become. Why didn't I get to go to the gravesite? I was closer to him than you were. Well, they wanted this. Well, I'm related to them. These kinds of things happen all the time. And again, we see now it becomes very selfish. We have the right. And they're all trying to get this idea of I'm in charge or I have a closer right to the king because they want the power. They want the inheritance. They want the will to look forward in their favor kind of a thing. And so that's what's taking place here. In verse 43, Then the men of Israel answered the men of Judah, We have ten shares in the king. We have a greater claim on David than you have. Why then do you treat us with contempt? Weren't we the first to speak of bringing back our king? But the men of Judah pressed their claims even more forcefully than the men of Israel. The ten northern tribes felt unappreciated by the tribe of Judah. And this competitive attitude between Judah and the ten northern tribes sets the stage for a civil war that's going to take place soon. In David's day, and eventually it would be a division that would divide the two. So that the nation would be divided with Israel, the ten tribes to the north, and Judah down to the south. All because they felt they had the right to impose themselves on the king. Crazy stuff. So human. 
Yep, there were 12. And so the 10 were up there and the two down below. And so they're feeling like, well, there's more of us. We have a right to him. It's kind of silly, but people can be kind of silly at times. And remember, we're all people. (laughs) Just in case if you're thinking other people, remember you're a people too. Sometimes we can act silly and hopefully we'll catch ourselves and be a little bit wiser. Any other thoughts in this chapter as we close? Yes. Yeah, it does. It makes a lot of sense. I mean, God didn't stop working when Absalom died. And David stopped, but God didn't. And so David had the responsibility to keep moving. You know, God is still working. God is still moving. The nation is still in need. Are you going to take that and recognize the potential to step into that is a big deal. And the way he did it was, again, very wise, very cool. All right. Let's pray. Father, I love reading stories uh, that the human condition shows up in for good and for bad, in the best of ways and in the worst of ways. I, I love the raw texture of these words and how even though they were so many years ago, they still show that sign of humanity today. And we can still read in these things and see ourselves in different places or maybe see what we would like to see in ourselves in different places or not see in ourselves. And as these things have spoken up to us and have impacted our imaginations and thoughts, Lord, I pray that they would continue to get momentum and move forward and produce within our lives actions that follow suit with the things that we see and identify that are good. Thank you again for this time, this opportunity. I pray that you would continue speaking to us in Jesus' name. Amen.